Those of you who are left will begin, will transition from the worship of God through singing uh, into the worship of God through His Word. And so if you have a Bible with you and you'd like to open it up, you can open up to Psalms 119. If not, I will have it up on the screen for us as well, uh, just so we can see it and everybody can, can see what's happening here. It's very easy as a preacher, if you preach regularly, and anybody who's here, and if you do that, uh, you always know that it's always, a, it's always the goal of a preacher all the time to try to find the, something different, something new, something deep, something theological, something really great, you know, let me throw something at you you've never heard before, whatever the case may be. And I, and I do that as well. I mean, as you study and as you look, you want to come with a fresh perspective and things like that. And sometimes God just says, no, that's not what you're going to do today. You're just going to bring my word and you're just going to preach it as it is and let the word of God do its work. And so that's kind of how it's going to be this morning. We're just going to walk through it together. Hopefully we can take some things practically. We can take some things that will help us just as we walk in our daily life as the people of God. Some practical application through what the psalmist is telling us here about our life and we can use it, okay? So Psalms 119, we're going to read through the very first part of the first stanza of this uh, psalm here and then we will draw our conclusion here at the end, but we're just going to read through this first part. Psalms 119 1 through 3, here's the first slide. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. Verse 4 says, You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to blame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. So we get down to the end of the stanza there in verse number 8. And then the psalmist stops. He asks a question. In verse number 9, the first part, he says, How can a young man keep his way pure? So the first few stanzas there of the psalm, it's, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who are walking according to your precepts and according to your scripture, according to your law. And he walks through that and he praises God and he gives them that. And then he stops and says, well, how exactly am I going to do that? He's kind of perplexed by this question. And as simple as it sounds, I think it's good for us as the people of God to stop right here and ask ourselves this question. How can we as the people of God keep our way pure, keep it right, walk according to the statutes of God? And then the psalmist begins to lay out some things after this question. So he asks the question and then he begins to expound upon this question of how in the world am I going to do that? Because what does he look at? He looks at himself, he sees this question and he says, well, I mean, I know I'm going to struggle with this. This is going to be a problem. I know in my brain what I'm supposed to do. I know that the scripture has told me, how in the world am I going to do that? Now, a couple things that we see from that are good things. The fact that he's asking himself this question is a good question. The fact that he is wondering within himself, how am I going to do that? (laughs) That he even cares, right? And we'll see that here in just a second. So he answers the question by guarding it according to your word. So there's two parts there. 
How am I going to do this? Well, first of all, I'm going to guard it. But there's a certain way to guard it. It's not simply guarding it by a set of rules and regulations that I or someone else have come up with or what I feel is good for me to do or what society has dictated. He says, I'm going to guard it, but I'm going to guard it in a certain way. So what does, this, what does that answer show us about the psalmist and what he's trying to do here, okay? First of all, it implies that he's concerned. So let's start with that. As we sit here today, we look into our lives and we begin to examine. And I know no one wants to sit in church and examine their life. I get it. All right, we want to come, we want to have a good time, we want to praise, we want to feel great, we want to walk out. But we must examine So as we examine, the first question that we see in your life, as you look and you say, how am I going to keep my way pure? How am I going to walk according to what God wants me to do? The question is, do you have concern? Are you concerned with it at all? Is there something within your heart that says, am I doing this? Am I walking in the path that God would have for me? Do I simply wake up every day and live life according to me, mine, and what I want? Or do I really walk in life according to the ways of God? Now, we can stop right here and we can say, God has made it very clear, and we're going to talk about it here in just a little bit more, but God's made it very clear about our victory and our freedom in Jesus. He's made it very clear about enjoying and the graces that he's given us. This is not about walking in life in some type of shame-ruled and regulated lifestyle. That's not what I'm trying to get to. But here's what I am going to get to. Is your enjoyment in life, are the things you are going, trying to pursue in life, your goals, your dreams, your visions, the things that you do, are they about the glory of God and enjoying Him in those things? Or is it simply about you? Because we know the crux of the problem is simply the creature serving the creature, right? We know that's, in everything, that is our ultimate issue. We worship the creature more than we worship the one who created us. That's man's overall problem. And we fall and we fail in that even in a Christian walk, where we fall into what our lives are about is us. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy things and have fun and enjoy life and do fun things. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about walking according to God's precepts. Does this violate that? So the psalmist shows us and implies that he has some kind of concern. What else? That he has an intention. Now he's going to show intentionality in what he's doing. There's a difference between walking in legalism and walking in the intentionality of trying to glorify God. And in church, we oftentimes can't figure out the balance between those things. We either want to be legalistic and demand everything of everyone, or we want to walk in, it'll all work out in the end. And as we see in most things in life, whether it's the Bible, whether it's politics, whether it's anything else, as we see with most things, We need to learn some balance in most of our areas of life. We need to learn the difference between walking intentionally for the glory of God and trying to live legalistically. 
We also need to understand the balance of walking, for the, walking with the intention of God's glory and not trying to impress Him or gain His favor. But we also need to walk intentionally in the glory of God without falling into the, well, grace will just handle everything. Because while grace does handle things from an eternal basis, God has made it very clear that the same grace that handles the eternal brings us means to walk in His glory while we're here. So you can't claim, you shouldn't be claiming God's grace on an eternal basis and not recognizing the other things that God's grace is bringing, which is your victory to walk according to his statutes and precepts. If you're going to claim God's grace and you're going to walk in that grace, you need to claim all of it. You need to know all of it. You need to recognize that in your life. So it shows some intention. Thirdly, it shows that there is some type of standard. He says, I'm walking according to your word, your statutes, your commands, your precepts. So there is a standard that is set. Now here's the cool thing about it. When you know that God's spirit works within his people, we don't need to come up with a list of things, rules and regulations for you to do, not do, all that kind of stuff. We don't need it. There's already a standard a standard written by God and dictated by His Spirit within you. I don't have to dictate what is right and wrong to you. If you're a child of the King, you know. Because His Spirit bears witness with your spirit about what you do and don't do. We all know those things that are in our life that we go, they should not be there. We all know that struggle where we say, I should not be engaging in that activity. I should not be treating people that way. I should not be neglecting these things. We all know it down deep if the Spirit is working. We also need to understand that it's a very scary thing if He is not. If He is not working, if He is not telling you these things, you are walking in your own way and you have no idea what I'm talking about now. Our prayer for you today is that the Holy Spirit of God that we're going to see here in just a minute, would illuminate your life and your heart and would take your heart and mold it and soften it to where you look at yourself and you say, I do have this problem. And just as the psalmist says, how in the world am I going to walk according to these? I can't live like this. How am I going to do that? So now let's kind of delve into it and see the progression that the psalmist now goes through after he asks himself this question. He begins to progress in his writing here, and it kind of gives us a little outline. So let's go through it. Psalms 119, verse 10. Right after that, he says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So two parts of this phrase. He asks himself that question. He says, how am I going to do this? Okay, I'm going to have to pay attention. I'm going to have to guard myself. I'm going to have to actually do some intentional things here to help me walk according to your commandments and your word. So what's the next response? With my whole heart, I seek what? You. Not seek a certain way of living. Not seeking the rules to follow. Not seeking the box to check. Not seeking, if I do this, God will do this. With my whole heart, I seek you. 
So the first thing that we see is his ability or his willingness or his desire to seek. It is by God's grace that we even seek at all. Romans has made it very clear. It can't get any clearer than no man seeks God. Because that's the direct opposite of this statement. David says, with my whole heart, I have sought you. And Romans says, Paul says, no man seeks God. Seems contradictory, doesn't it? It is by the grace of God that we ever seek at all. The Holy Spirit does the work within the man. Shows him his need. Shows him where he is. Wakes him up from his death in sin. And then what happens? That man seeks. Where can I go but to the Lord? And he begins to seek. So David, the psalmist here says, I have sought thee. I'm looking. What else does that imply? That implies that it's not always as plain as we want it to be. He's having to seek. He's having to look. It is a misnomer in our lives, ladies and gentlemen, that God is just going to come and just drop everything into our laps as we sit there and do nothing. That's a misunderstanding of grace. It's a misunderstanding of what God's calling us to. He illuminates us. He gives us what we need, and then He sends us. Without the Holy Spirit of God working within us, we would lay dead where we were. And when we are alive, that Holy Spirit of God is within us. Now, it's time to move. Time to go. We are no longer stuck. We're no longer without excuse, with an excuse. We are without excuse now, right? So he begins to seek. What does that mean? That means sometimes it's hard. It's intentional. Sometimes I can't find exactly what it is I'm looking for. So I have to search. I have to seek it. How intentional are you and I about seeking God himself? Because without that kind of relationship with God, without a seeking of God, you will never follow the commands and the precepts that he's laid down. Why? We are sinful. We are fleshly. We don't want those things in our bodies and in our nature. But the person who has been changed by the Spirit of God, the person who wants God, seeks Him. And you say, yes. I don't do it well. I'm not implying that you're going to do it great. We all all are going to mess that up. We're all going to struggle through that seeking of God. None of us are perfect at it. None of us are even really good. Most of us are pretty bad at it. The question is, is do you want it? Do you want God? Not what God gives. I didn't say, do you want God as your personal Walmart where I can go and get the things I need as I need them? That's not the question. The question is, is did you want God himself? If God said, the only thing I can offer you is myself, I promise you nothing else. Which is kind of what he has said. But if that's all he ever said, all you get's me. Do we want him? And that's the question. 
So seek. There's an intentionality there. What else do we see? It is by God's grace that we seek. And then the second part of verse 10 says what? It is by God's grace that we stay. It is by His grace that we seek, and it is by His grace that we stay. What does verse 10, last part of verse number 10 say? Let me not wander from your commandments. So he claims to be seeking God with his whole heart, and yet he understands that in his sinfulness, in his flesh, he is prone, as the writer said, to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, right? Seal it for thy courts above. Modern hymn says, When I fear, my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast, right? It is by God's grace that we seek him at all, and it is by God's grace that we stay, because our flesh is prone to wander from the God that we love. Does this concern you? It should. You should have time and moments with God where you say, God, do not let me wander away. I feel the draw of my flesh. I feel the draw of this world. I see things on TV, and my flesh is drawn to all of these things on the Internet, all this Facebook, all these other things. And we're concerned for our children. We monitor our kids, don't we? We try to monitor them so they don't see and hear things that they shouldn't hear. How about we? What about, our, what about monitoring ourselves? I want to keep my kids from wandering, do I understand that I am also prone to the same wandering. God, here's my heart. Take it. Seal it for yourself. Do not let me wander from your commandments. You see the progression that he's going through. He says, I want to guard my heart. I want to guard my way. I want to walk according to your precepts. And I know that I seek you. That is evidence that you have come into my life. That is evidence of a believer, because I want to seek you and I have sought you, and I know that that's because of what the Holy Spirit has done. That without him I would never seek. And it is only by God's grace that I will stay. That I will continue to walk according to the word and not wander away. Because as the New Testament writer says, those who left us were not of us. They looked like it, they lived it for a little while, but it wasn't maintained, they walked away. Why? Because they were not born by the Spirit. But David says, please, let me not wander from this. Then look in verse 11, so he begins to, there's there's this progression going here, right? I seek it, don't let me wander from it. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So now what do we see? We see he is seeking it, and he's beginning to what? Beginning to find it. He's looked for it. The Holy Spirit of God has taught him, spoken to him. He is growing, and then he's doing what? Storing. Not just knowing, but storing it up, storing it up like a treasure. The King James says what? Thy word have I hid in my heart, right? The idea of hiding something like a treasure. 
Proverbs talks about wisdom. Proverbs talks about all those things like a hidden treasure that's there. You have the Holy Spirit's illumination. You have His guidance. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Your word is a light unto my path. Where is it guiding me to? It is guiding me to God. It is guiding me to His precepts and His commands. And I seek them. those things. I look for those things. I find those things and they're so precious that I now begin to store them. They can only be stored in a heart that is soft. A heart of stone cannot store. There is no way to bury the treasure in the dirt that it's rock. But the Spirit softens our hearts and we can put His Word. His Word is put and planted and hidden there by a Spirit who works in us, who does mighty things and we store it up in our hearts. Why? So that we don't sin against God. Is there some practicality to that? Yes, there is. Notice I've talked about quite a few things that the psalmist is responsible for. He has some responsibility here. He cannot teach himself. He cannot illuminate his own heart. He cannot soften his heart in order to store it. But because of what the Spirit has done, he seeks after it. He finds it. He stores it. He cries out to the God who will keep him and help him in this, in this time. He cries out to the one who will give him the grace to continue on. This is a great quote by Spurgeon. God's word is the best preventative against offending God, for it tells us his mind and will and tends to bring our spirit into conformity with the divine spirit. No cure for life and no cure for sin in the life is equal to the word in the seed of life, which is the heart. There is no hiding from sin unless we hide the truth in our soul. There's a counter move. I don't want to sin. You must have the truth. I don't want to harm these things. I don't want to go against what God has said, then you must have truth. It's not about just knowing what not to do. I know I'm not supposed to do this, and I know I'm not supposed to... Missing what the point is. When you seek God and you seek His truth, you won't want those things because you will see how they harm the relationship that you are developing with your God. The preacher doesn't have to talk you into living the good life. I just simply want to remind you that the good life is found in Jesus Christ. And you will put things away by the work of the Spirit within you in order to develop that kind of relationship with the one who calls you his own. You have no righteousness to speak of outside of him. And so it is in him and it is through him that you can walk according to this way. It is only by the work that Christ has done that you have any hope in this. Jesus Christ's righteousness is not only good, it is necessary for your salvation. 
I was listening to a conference the other day and Dr. Sproul said, if Christ was not righteous, you would never enter the kingdom of heaven. If all he had done was die for you, you would simply be innocent. You would not be welcome to the kingdom. If all Christ had done was fallen onto the earth and died, was buried and rose again and went back to heaven, you would never enter the kingdom of God. Because God does not require innocence. God requires righteousness. Why do you think Jesus is constantly saying, unless your righteousness is as greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God? All the verses that Christ constantly is referring to doing good things and being righteous has nothing to do with work salvation and you living the life to get to heaven. It is a constant reminder that without the righteousness that is Christ himself, you have no hope to enter that kingdom. And so not only did he die for you, bury for you, rose again for you, and he advocates for you, but he lived the righteousness that was required for you to stand before holy God. And ladies and gentlemen, when he called you to himself, he took that sin that identified you and handed you the righteousness that identifies him. And to think that we stand before a holy God, God Father, when he sees me, and he sees you as his children, he sees his son. and says that righteousness is exactly what was needed. Welcome in. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you contemplate that, when you think on that, when you meditate on those kind of things, and then you look in your life and you go, man, I'm not doing good. But again, it's not about you're doing good. It's about you seeking the one who is good. And when you seek him and that relationship grows with him and he works in you and he does things in your heart and life, you begin to move away from those things that harm that. You want to put that sin out. And we see that kind of intentionality. Ladies and gentlemen, there are a lot of things that we are talking about here in order to be this kind of intentional. We've seen, we're talking about prayer. As you see, he cries out to God. We're talking about the word of God. As you see, he says, I must look at this. I must see this word. Verse 12, what's he say? Blessed are you, O Lord, and teach me your statutes. So see now the progression. Question, I must guard it. How am I going to do it? I'm going to guard it. Then he goes through that progression of concern, intention, standard. I've sought you with my whole heart. Please don't let me wander away from you. I'm going to hide it here so that I don't sin against you. And what response is there? There's a response. The result of seeking and treasuring these things is praise. Because he's seeing God do things in his life that he would never be able to do for himself. He sees God working in him in ways that he would never be able to make happen on his own. And what is the response to that? The response to that is praise. Blessed are you. I praise you, O Lord. You are the one who is worthy. You are the righteous one. You are the one who is doing what I could never do. And I praise you for that. That's what brings us here this morning. 
You don't come to church just to come. We're here to praise the one who's doing mighty work. And you say, well, I'm not perfect. Amen, brother. Nobody here is. We are not praising God because we are perfect. We are praising God because he is perfect and worthy. And that we see him working in our hearts and lives. Nobody's asking you to have arrived. We're not asking you to be there. We're not asking you to reach some kind of level. We want to praise God with you when you look into your life and you say, yes, I want God. And we want to help you seek Him. And it's our job as the elders of this church to prepare you to do the work of ministry. And it's going to start with walking just like this. Not of your own accord and of your own power and strength, but according to His Word. His power and His strength. Again, I'm not here to get you to follow a list of rules and regulations. If I can get you to walk out this door and simply fall at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, God, help me. We have won a good victory today because it is his help that will get you from sin and self to his righteousness. It's his victory, not ours. What else does it say? Petition. The result of this seeking and treasuring is first praise. Blessed are you, O Lord. And then what? A petition. Teach me your statutes. I want to know more. I'm seeking, I'm treasuring, I'm hiding in my heart. These things are awesome. God, you are great. Teach me some more. Spirit of God, show me more things. That should be our daily petition before him. Teach me more. I want to know you better. God, I'm struggling today. I want to know you better. Teach me these things. Verse 13 and 14, what does it say? With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. So what's the progression now? We see an internal progression into an external progression, right? So he's going through these things as a person. He's going through these things internally. He's seeking God. God's doing work. And now he begins to talk about it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is something that we're missing just as Mike was talking about last week about how COVID has messed up and skewed our idea of relationships with the people of God and skewed our relationships with those around us in our neighborhood, skewed the idea of a relationship with our family and friends and co-workers. David's beginning to declare now. God is working in me and now we're going to talk about it. And sometimes it's you talking to others and sometimes it's others talking to you. And we need to be open to that, guys. As people of God, we need to be open to sharing these kind of spiritual things with one another. You ever find it difficult to talk to people because it just it's always a small talk. It's always just kind of you're trying to find a conversation and struggling through that. We as God's people in our church, we need to become way more comfortable about talking about God to each other. You need to be way more comfortable about praying with and for each other about sharing your concerns with one another. We all do. I'm in the same boat. I'm right, right here with you. We need to be able to go to someone and ask them, you know what, I'm just struggling with some sin in my life. Will you pray for me? Knowing that that person will. And then it won't be a subject of conversation outside of there. We need to be able to do that with each other. Another thing we need to be open to is some speaking with one another in a, discipleship manner of talking about God with one another. 
Sometimes that might look like a back and forth conversation. That might look like a small group conversation. That might, that might look like some therapy in your life. We don't need to be scared about all those kinds of things. We need to be willing to take our struggles and take the things that we're working through and talk about it. Knowing that the person next to us is walking the same path we are. Because if we're all seeking the same path, which is simply God's righteousness, no one is any better or worse off than we are because we're all in the same boat. We're all rowing down the same river, right? We all need God. We all need His righteousness, and we're all looking for it together. Why can't we help each other with that? With his lips, he starts talking about it. And in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. It's getting more and more valuable. So he went from just seeking it, and now he's talking about it as it's rich, as it's the treasure, as it's more and more valuable to him. Lastly, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now we see some resolve. He's kind of making a statement. He's putting it out there. He's starting to commit a little bit here. Right? I'm talking about it. I'm delighting in it. Now he says, here's what I'm going to do. Here's, what's gonna, here's what I'm going to do. Here's the, here's the path I'm going to walk. Here's how I'm going to do this stuff. And what does he say? First of all, we'll meditate on your precepts. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, as people of God, to spend more time in meditation on his word. Not just reading it for reading its sake. I'm not telling you you shouldn't. If you have a daily devotion, Bible study, that's great. Keep going with that. But we need to take some time to take Scripture. God speaks, and we meditate on it. And In our culture and society, stopping and meditating is not exactly what we all have time or want to do, right? But we need to take some time. I encourage you, if you're a father or husband here today, you're leading your home, I encourage you to take some time. Meditate on God's Word. To meditate on Scripture, to share that with your spouse as you meditate on it together, to share it with your children and to encourage them meditation time on the Scripture. It doesn't have to be complicated. We've meditated on Scripture this morning. Just take the Scripture and do the same thing in your own home. It doesn't have to be long drawn out. But you need time to meditate on God's Word, to let His Word not just hear the words and know what they say, but to let them soak to let them marinate. It's important, and it's something we lack. Other than prayer, it's probably what we lack in more than anything else, is meditating on the Word. Not just reading it, but meditating on it. The psalmist resolves to do that. I will meditate on this. I will fix my eyes on that. I will understand that this is the way to go. I will delight in your statutes. I will not. I will not forget your word. These things are undoable without the Holy Spirit's power and strength. You could not resolve to either of the, any of these statements without God. You have no capability whatsoever as a human being to resolve to this. 
but there is a Christ who has come and who has won victory that we would never win and then called us to himself and handed us victory and said, now you can walk just like that. Are you going to fail? Yep. I don't want any of us here to walk in a life of shame and guilt over what we can't accomplish. I don't want anybody in this room to walk in some kind of fear and guilt that they would never be able to accomplish it. That's not what repentance looks like. Repentance is a refreshing of soul so that you can resolve to do. That's what true repentance is. It is not a guilt and a shame. It is not I can never. It is a God I need you. Refresh my soul so that I can resolve. Refresh me. Forgive me, cleanse me, and help me to move forward. And we as your people, as people of God, need to help each other in it. Praying for one another, being gracious with each other, being patient with one another, but also holding each other accountable. Helping each other understand that grace doesn't mean letting you be whatever you want. That grace means moving forward. The ability to repent and refresh and move forward. Don't we want that? Wouldn't it be amazing for you to spend time with God in repentance and you come out refreshed instead of guilty? Where you come out with resolve instead of pain and I'm not worthy and I could never do this? Because through Christ you can. It's the most overused verse ever where I can do all things through Christ, but it's still true. Just because it's on every coffee mug in America doesn't mean it's not true. It might have a different context and meaning than what some people are using it for, but it is still true. That through Christ we can do all these things. All the things that God has called us to do that we could never do without Him. So I encourage you this morning as you leave to think about these things. Fall at the feet of your Savior, the one who has called you to himself and say, God, I know I can never live this way, but you have given victory. You have accomplished. And then you have given me that victory. Not just eternal victory. It's not just eternal victory. We can walk according to his precepts here. We don't have to wait. And he has called us to not wait. And lastly, ladies and gentlemen, you're here this morning and you don't really know what in the world I'm talking about. You don't quite understand what I mean when I say I don't want God. I don't seek God. You don't quite understand it. I call you this morning to examine your heart and yourself. If you know that you have sin, you have self within you, you see you're beginning to look and you're beginning to see that, that sin is there. There's a problem. And I can't solve it. I encourage you to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you needed to talk to someone, there are plenty of people in this room, myself and anyone else included, who would love to speak with you about that at some point. We could go out and get coffee and talk about that. And also, church member, that church membership 
being a Presbyterian, being a covenant child, that does not equate to faith. Look into your heart. Don't rest in the faith of your parents, your grandparents. Look at yourself. When you see the calling of God, you hear that calling of God, you believe in that Christ, that's the kind of victory I'm talking about. So I urge you this morning, run to Christ. Whether you know him or you don't, run to him. Because he is the hope. He is the one that will enable these things. The most impossible all of a sudden becomes possible through him. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come to you today. We ask that you would take the word of God and pierce our hearts and souls with it. That God, we would see that only you can do this kind of work. Only you can move in us and enable us to be and to do what you have called us to be and do. And God, we thank you that ultimately you are the only one who can bring us to this state. Save our souls, make us your own. Call us to eternity. Father, we ask that you would give us the help and strength today as we leave here to run to you, run to Christ, fall at your feet and ask for your help and strength in everything that we are and everything that we do. Father, we love you. We thank you. We give you praise and honor and glory for all that you have done. God, we ask for these things. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Church, if you stand with me, we'll end our time together in the worship and praise of the